the work week, am I right? But do you know what would make it a little bit better? Doing church on a Sunday and then listening to a podcast about the sermon. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, a production of Liberty Church Collingswood. Each week we'll spend some time unpacking Sunday's sermonics, and we hope that you'll be able to connect a little deeper with the message and the messenger. It's a win, if we can make your work week a little less blue. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem. Happy Halloween. Recording on Halloween Day. Yeah. That's right. So we're outside my little home office window. I don't know if trick or, is trick or treating going to start while we're podcasting. I thought it was it might from get noisy. two. I thought it was from two to f- to six or something like that. But maybe it was four to six, and I just wasn't paying attention. So okay, I actually don't know. And this is it's quieter than it used to be, which is progress that uh, parents don't have to take the entire day off of work in order to have their kids be trick or treating. But yeah. it's a call- weird Collingswood quirk, one of the Stars Hollow <laughs> call- <laughs> call- Collingswood things. Yeah, you gotta love, but also some people find annoying. What what's that Stars Hollow reference? Is that Gilmore Girls? I think so. Yeah, oh, like just one of the nice. quirky, quirky small town things. Yeah, when we first moved here, I didn't realize that a with when our kids were younger that I would need to block out half a work day for trick or treating when that was not my experience growing up at all. My right. parents did nothing for Halloween except put out some candy. But they, roamed they, at night. Yeah, I do After, love it. Daylight trick or treating is it, strange to me. Still. It is a, a charmed life, though, that our kids lead. Having having grown up here, <laughs> you are such a cynic. What happened? <laughs> what happened to you? Yeah. I'm not the only one who lost my idealism. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, welcome. Um, it's you're in fall colors. We're finally in the fall. The fall season. Flannel has um, arrived. You've enjoyed some fun things this week. Yeah. Saw a Bruce Springsteen symposium with a surprise appearance from the boss himself. It was great. Got some beach in at the end of the season, both Friday night in Asbury Park and beach day yesterday as well. Yeah, I'm glad. It was warm but empty on the shores of Ventnor yesterday. Um, Was that yesterday? Oh my gosh, it was. Yeah. This is a, it is a funny kind of season. Um. Apologies so to those people that don't take Mondays off. You getting your own little fall break. We have Halloween. We have it's the big push before November and December. We have mm-hmm. um, you have a new staff coming on board. Oh, that's right. There's lots of new fun things at Liberty Collingswood. Yes, <laughs> I'm excited for all of them. It's a lot all at once. Um, but it yeah. But let's jump in instead. It seems like you're you're ready to you're ready to get moving. Ready to roll. Um, it will it will disappoint you to know that I've lost my notes for your sermon. So we're gonna jump oh my in. Goodness. Notes. Let's see how I'll see how much my my brain can remember from um when I was scribbling this Sunday. It was only two days ago, right? What could go wrong? I'm actually this surprised. I test. I don't lose my notes more frequently. Yeah. I'm surprised, but not surprised that you waited till we were recording to tell me that you were. Well, I figured, <laughs> what, what would you, what would, why would you need to know? Well, we shall see. Um, anyway, so, yeah, this, so the context of your taking a little bit of a break, um, being at your Bruce Symposium, mm-hmm. did, did our audience even know that there was a Bruce Symposium, I wonder? Well, it sold like out immediately, existence. so yeah, it wasn't publicized. <laughs> no need to. It is kind of a fun story, but you had that ahead. You had this a, a little bit of a break ahead. Um, 
How does that frame coming back to church on a Sunday after taking kind of a mental break or an away break? Yeah, well, for the record, I only checked out about an hour or so early on, <laughs> on Friday. Friday night. So it's a break from family say. life. It's a break yeah. from <laughs> other responsibilities. I, I came back ready to ready to go. And that, I mean, the sermon's already written by that point. So right. I'm not, I'm not cramming on a Friday and a Saturday really yeah. ever with, with sermons, but was excited to, yeah, felt fresh coming back to talk about the importance of the gospel, not only of love, but also one of reconciliation mm-hmm. and, and what that means. So the big burden, the big idea of the sermon this Sunday was that whole reconciliation piece. Right. And that seemed to be in contrast to a, a gospel message that is, is like, I don't want to say just of love or just of, just of what would you fill up fill right. in the blank with? So midway through the sermon, I juxtaposed reconciliation and inclusion mm-hmm. against one another. I hope that I was clear in saying they're, they're both gospel values and in Mudding the Waters, we can talk about how they're not equally ultimate, mm-hmm. but wanting to make sure, and you know, we can get into this now or later, um, but uh, going back to the Middle Ages, at least and beforehand, uh, there have been discussions in the church and from those that started in the church and those that have left the church about the reconciliation piece of the gospel. Is it only love or is there also some sort of a costly forgiveness that Christ has bought for us on the cross or B uh, penal substitution? So uh, the baseline majority of the church throughout the ages have, have said the latter. Uh, there is costly forgiveness and the whole idea that Jesus is our substitute. So the mm-hmm. substitution idea, as opposed to an idea espoused by our old friend Daniel at yeah. Church of the Redeemer, who may or may not have known was articulating something that had been voiced for 1,500 years, right. where we only see love, but there's a specific nuance to the love of the gospel that can be lost either in ancient times or modern times. Mm-hmm. And I guess that does, I mean, the way you were bringing him up as an example, I think that at least in my mind or the way you've maybe talked about it, I don't know from the pulpit or not. Talked about him? Or no, 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 no. The concept of like inclusion, it, it, it sometimes can feel like it's a newer thing, but it's actually not really like it's it's been historically um, the idea of Jesus as reconciler or the need for the need to preach both sin and and grace yeah has been something that's been important that's true contextually for a while yeah so there's this as we become more of a post-christian culture not because of that but in concert with that inclusion has become one of the biggest you know buzzwords concepts uh really of the past few years the the whole DEI initiative in, in, in businesses, and I hope I said again in the sermon that, that, that there's a lot of good there. It's, it probably is fair to say that a lot of DEI stuff runs against at least a couple of Christian biblical prin- principles, but at a larger level, uh, inclusion brought to you by the Church of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. where, where it's, it's actually 
the whole idea of inclusion today in the late modern West has its roots in the Christian gospel because nobody was doing that before the church and Jesus. So Jesus was the ultimate and original includer, but the key is to try to continue to fill that out along the lines of what the Bible says in its fullness. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm, a, <laughs> I am curious about the, because I think that what you're saying, the idea is that um, when you're saying DEI, um, diversity, equity, inclusion. right. Yeah. That like, for our <laughs> I am just confused by your uh, setting it as a, as a, because I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have understood like that type of movement as something that is what you were, what you're saying, the, the, um, the counterpoint to Jesus as a reconciler really no. was. So like, yeah. So I, yeah, so the, I'm, I, I'm almost just kind of good, confu- confused good about it because, so, because I would I would think that like what what you said at the end was that like Jesus is the great includer like that's yeah. the values that are espoused by mm-hmm. those movements I actually would think are gospel oriented personally. Yes. yes, although the connection that I was specifically making is in the rise of the era of DEI. I think in a lot of people's minds. The church is not an ally of such impulses, but whether historically or in the present has been an enemy mm-hmm. of, of, of DEI. And so if there's at least the informal reasoning in people's minds, hey, we need to get rid of old categories to embrace a fuller DEI. And if church is part of the old category, to me, that's a category error because a lot of these principles come out of the Christian gospel sure. itself. Right. Okay. I see that. There we go. <laughs> Just the way you said it was... Like, yeah, anyway. That's why this is a dialogue and not a monologue. Right. So when you're, when you're talking about that, um, the movement towards this is how is that shaping you as you, um, specifically come to this passage and, and see this frame upon it? Well, it's probably the opposite where I came to the passage and shall we go into Sun Studios presence of the Lord? Go for it. The looking at Colossians 1, 18 to 20 thinking about, hey, what am I going to preach from from this passage? And the key concept, I think, comes in the last verse, and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So seeing reconciliation here as one of the main themes, contours of, of the text. And then what I try to do every week is, whether conceptually or practically or hopefully both, say, hey, how does this idea strike us as modern listeners and, and human beings? Mm-hmm. This idea of Jesus lovingly reconciling us to himself by the blood of his cross. And then thinking through reconciliation and inclusion vis-a-vis reconciliation versus inclusion uh, felt like relevant categories to, to, to explore. So, so I brought the inclusion piece in question to this passage, I don't see it arising naturally from there. I see, I quite, see. Quite the same way. Mm-hmm. But then if the whole idea here as well, the beginning of the little passage, and he is the head of the body of the church, the first, he is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Paul in Colossians 1, 15 to 20, sets up Jesus as preeminent as the overarching common denominator category in these verses. First 
by way of creation than by way of redemption. So trying to think through the relationship between creation and redemption and exploring there the idea that I use the phrase in the sermon, the portrait of redemption fills a creation frame where when we come to Jesus, we're not going against what's good for us, what's healthy for us. In fact, we are living into and leaning into the creational wiring and structure that God has already given to us by virtue of our being creatures before the creator, if that makes sense. So is the is Christianity good for modern people? I think those are relevant questions for us to think through and wrestle, and hopefully I do wrestle with them on Sunday mornings at Liberty Collingswood. Strictly speaking from the perspective of the scriptures, is Christianity good for people would be answered, well, if it's if we're talking about people, they're created by the Christian God, who is the only one true God. Therefore, of course, it's good for them because people are made in God's image. And that's precisely what's being renewed through Jesus. Got it. Okay. <laughs> why, why are you smirking? I'm smirking because this would be when I was would look through my notes and I'd like find specific things I meant to ask you about in terms of uh, in terms of the section, the the Bible passage. So now I'm trying to think of a way to ask you: Is there anything Lovely. else more in this? So, so the the flow of the sermon kind of went sequentially through these verses, eighteen, nineteen to twenty. So, and he's the head of the body, the church, firstborn from the dead, talking about Jesus, how creation correlates with redemption and then uh hit on again that for in him all the fullness of god was was pleased to dwell this this idea of right jesus being jesus. fully divine mm -hmm. which daniel and i had a couple of rounds of conversation about way back in the day uh, but the fullness is ours just because not just because we're catching god on a good day mm -hmm. but our fullness we are filled with the fullness of jesus specifically by way of the cross, which brings out the reconciliation idea, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, making peace by the blood of his cross. Mm -hmm. So it's a pretty tightly reasoned and put together passage that I, I wanted to explore. Mm -hmm. And and the thinking too, Paul actually goes on, and I have the passage here right after this, so we'll be talking on Sunday. We'll begin with Colossians one twenty one. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. So the reconciliation of Jesus presupposes an unreconciled state into which we're born. And if there's no reconcil reconciliation in Jesus for us, then we remain, in Paul's language, in Colossians 1, uh, alienated um, and, and hostile to our creator. So Jesus has come and his body was broken that we would be set right and realigned with the divine purpose and creator. Mm -hmm. uh, so it all, to me, it all fits together beautifully. And so hopefully there was some of that, the beauty of that plan uh, came through in the sermon. Do you feel like the people who are articulating Daniel's position, the position that you were illustrating earlier, yeah. that Jesus is um, not fully God. Do you, Is that like a viable theory within theologians, like actual people who... 
it, it was decided very early on, relatively speaking, in the history of the church to be a view considered out of bounds to mm -hmm. true Christianity. And, you know, church history shows us a lot of things that the church has not done well. Uh, but there's a lot of thing, good things that I think the church has done well, including theologically in this case, um, where I think overall the church, big picture, has done a pretty good job of delineating what's core to Christian confession and what's not. And I think the Apostles' Creed is a good definition of that. And you have the Apostles' Creed, then also councils like Nicaea and Chalcedon, C-H-A-L-C-E-D-O-N, where the full divinity and full divinity plus humanity of Christ were hashed out in terms of ancient controversies, mm -hmm. third, fourth, fifth, fifth centuries. So Daniel's saying those things do have a really, really long pedigree, but the flip side is the long pedigree, I think, give some reliability to the claim that it is a sub-Christian confession because it's been judged and weighed for, yeah, for, for, ages. for so many centuries. I think popularly speaking, though, one of the corollaries or analogs is you'll find people that may not consider themselves followers of Jesus, believing in Jesus, worshiping Jesus, but still think that to the extent that we have any idea of the, who the historical Jesus was, he was probably a good guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah, he had a great sense of the Giving, divine yeah, love right um although yeah that goes back to uh we tend to see jesus throughout the ages by whatever lenses we have culturally on sure. uh, on on right now but it is true that yeah so you know jesus was a holy man in the same way that any other great figure of history slash religious man or woman was and hopefully jesus was a holy man but the church has confessed that he's so much more than that right at the same right. time Okay, well, let's move on to Mushido <laughs> Waters. Can I do one other thing here, baby? Sure, sure, the, sure. And this, this could be guitar slim pickings. Uh, at the beginning of the passage, Paul says that Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Uh, to connect with something we've talked about earlier this fall, this is a later letter of Paul, and there are some critics of Colossians that say Colossians is so different from whether recognized as authentically Pauline writings, that this couldn't have come from the same person. I think there's plenty of other people, and I would put myself in this camp to say, hey, Paul wrote for a while, and people deepen. They <laughs> do change their right, over writing time. styles. If, or Yeah, mm -hmm. I go, you go listen to my sermons from 20 years ago. Uh, you can't, because you destroyed them. <laughs> that's true, yeah. I, I, I was thinking, I think it was this month, 20 years ago, that I was ordained. Wow. October of 2003. The ordained as a pastor, I guess it was ordained as an elder before that. But the there is a progression in Paul's thought here when he's used this metaphor of church as body mm -hmm. previously, uh, most famously in First Corinthians, where Paul talks about the one body, many parts, and every part needs one another, and you don't need all eyes or all ears, but the but the eye appreciates the ear, the ear appreciates the eye. And even body parts that are considered less valuable, they are held in highest honor in the church. So Paul is, is riffing on that metaphor. This is the first and potentially only place where Paul uses the metaphor of body for the church to denote not the local expression of the church, but the universal, where 
the body here is not just the church at Colossae mm -hmm. or at Corinth, as in the club uh, or the or the band, but it's all clubs, all bands of mm -hmm. uh, of Christians. So kind of cool to think about how the Apostle Paul continues to develop his own thought and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit speaks of the body in in universal universal terms. So every local expression of church is body of Christ with all these different parts. But intriguing to think about how the worldwide church, likewise, if we can put these two sets of metaphors, two aspects of the metaphor together, one body, many parts around the world, but with Jesus as the head. Nice. Thank you. <laughs> Move it to Buddy and Water. So. <laughs> Hard hitting. It's nice. Um, I, I, it was a solid sermon. I really, it, it is actually a good testament that like note taking, note taking and then reviewing notes is a better form of like engagement, at least for me. Okay. Um, <laughs> note, note to self. <laughs> Um, but in muddying the water, so what are the what are the hiccups or the things that you're coming across um, that were roadblocks or were? Yeah, some of these same things that we've already talked about. Uh, is the gospel healthy for human beings? Mm -hmm. And if God is create, if if there is a God that created us, and if Jesus is the fullness of God dwelling in human form, there won't be a disjunction between the commands of Jesus. For our lives of Christian Christian obedience and what's good for us as human beings, because it's only one hand, one set of hands on the steering wheel, so to speak. Um, and I think as we can consider living out the gospel to be seen as strange or weird, as it is very often in the history of the world, uh, the more we get back to God's creational intentions for us, the the more it 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 fits together and I guess in a few different ways in these sermons from Colossians so far um and this is just where my headspace has been thinking about the nature of human personhood and how I think the church has a lot more to articulate and contribute uh, more widely to this idea of what are we as as people I don't think there's a strong consensus or if there are constructions of personhood I think are exceedingly fragile in today's day and age. Uh, I had meant at one point and I simply forgot. So this might be another guitar slim picking. Um, what are we supposed to do or be? On one hand, it's the UBU idea. We can talk more about that. But the, the vision of Christian personhood that comes from the scriptures is something like the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. What is it? goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control in, in, in some order. That, that's the Christian vision, not only of Christian living, but of human personhood mm -hmm. to connect that redemptive horizon back to the creational aspect. What are human beings for? We're created by God to exercise the fruit and beauty of the spirit of God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Again, in some order, I, I might have said it in different order just just then. Those are good. Those are good fruit, good virtues imbued by God for us to exhibit. To, and to me, 
one of the problems with either the UBU idea as the chief value for a human being or thinking about inclusion as an ultimate value in itself there they they need to be filled so they're 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 not enough on their own without adding some more content to it because mm-hmm. so UBU or they maybe to put it this way instead on their own they both potentially beg the question UBU how what do I turn up what do I turn down mm-hmm. um, or the inclusion question uh, what are the common denominators? What what are the basis for 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 including or not? Um, and those things are filled in. Sometimes I feel like they're filled in in ways where the premises are suppressed as opposed to made explicit. But the Christian gospel says that the best you is the one that exhibits the fruit of the spirit and that Jesus is at work in. It might not be the actual you, you. Right. And that turns up and <laughs> turns down It might be that the you, you is actually pretty bad. Yeah. And so to put it in systematic theological terms, inclusion with without reconciliation minimizes the role of sin in our lives. Mm-hmm. So... You know, you're incu- you're including me. Great. What parts of me can I bring? All of me, even the even the bad parts. Then the fine print is well, no, not those parts. But then, okay, well then, give me a fuller view of like what what you want me to bring to the table versus versus not. So mm-hmm. you try to build in some yeses and nos, kind of on the back door. But I think reconciliation properly balances. Hey, there's a lot that's wrong with us, but we're included not on the basis of our being the right kind of people, but we're acknowledged to be not the people that we're supposed to be, but included on the basis of grace. Mm-hmm. So they, they look similar to each other, but they're also different in some important ways. And sure. the, I've, I've talked with people that are, are different, pastors that are different from me theologically, uh, who yet agree with me that you see churches pulled, uh, some are inclusion, inclusion, primary others are reconciliation primary and i guess i consider myself to be reconciliation primary and then work inclusion within that framework as opposed to vice versa but even pastors that disagree with me theologically about a lot of things would agree that yes reconciliation and inclusion cannot be equally ultimate and to me you need to go back to the scriptures to say well then which one how do we order Mm -hmm. our theological and pastoral systems that best take account of what God is what what God has revealed to us and if we don't do that I'm always worried that we're just or I'm all, I'm worried that we're not we don't have the tools to buffer ourselves against whatever cultural moment that that we're living in sure. so I think the scriptures are vital to take us out of our cultural moment and give us a different set of eyes and evaluative tools and I, I haven't seen great answers from people that would disagree with me including pastors about well, we want to relativize the scriptures, uh, but then what are we falling back on? Sure. And it could be a whole other conversation there, but um, I don't love the answers coming from that direction. And if I love the answers coming from that direction, I would be in that direction. So it's a tautology at the end of the day. Oh, tautologies. Um. <laughs> <laughs> tautologies are tautologies. And then you were, you did bring up like, the example of Gaza and how your perception. <laughs> you, oh, do you want, want me to talk about that? No, you're the host. <laughs> uh, 
or just as an example of it, it as it being an example try of... to remember why I said that. I'm looking back through my notes right now. <laughs> my my memory of it was that... Oh, okay. Well, maybe... Go ahead. <laughs> no, you, you go, then I go. Uh, just as an example of a place in which, like, coming to terms with reconcilia- reconciliation or inclusion. Maybe, actually, go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm like... The, you're you're getting warm. Good. So good good job of you. That was towards the end of the sermon when I was rushing. I was compressing that part of the sermon because uh-huh. I was short on time once again. Uh, so I mentioned those ideas in close proximity to one another, but not necessarily direct connection. When I was talking about Israel and Gaza, uh, most directly I was talking about, hey, this is a really complicated situation. Uh, it can feel really hopeless in part because we have no idea what true justice looks like in, mm-hmm. in that situation and whose, whose land is it, what's justified retaliation versus uh, over-retaliation, where do you start keeping score on something like this, mm-hmm. is it, are we just going from the Gazan attack a couple of weeks ago? But then you could go back hundreds of years to atrocities done on, on both sides. It's talking about there that when we talk about Jesus coming back and the new heavens and new earth, uh, the resurrection of all things, uh, that's good news because our world is so hopeless and messy. Mm-hmm. And right. Jesus gives us radical hope because we're not going to get it just from the data on the ground. In fact, we'll get the opposite where things can seem pretty hopeless and case in point is Gaza, where it's hard to have hope for resolution of conflict there, but it's hard even to know who the good guys and bad guys mm-hmm. are. A lot of you know, and people will have their own sympathies, even uh, diversity of opinion. Listeners of this podcast, Helen Wolves, but uh, if Jesus is going to be the full judge of the living and the dead at the end of time, we don't have to feel like we have to get it get to the bottom of it and it's okay to let god sort it out that doesn't mean we don't advocate for justice right now sure but we have hope not in the easy situations of our lives but in the really messy ones um but then i did go on to talk about 2m how um if a facile way to read well if you're reconciliation primary that means you're not in favor of inclusion therefore you're in favor of exclusion Mm -hmm. i would say well the bible just slices those things up a little bit differently where in Ephesians, another late letter of Paul, Paul moves from the vertical reconciliation of the gospel where Jesus reconciles us back to God and says, now we've been reconciled to one another, people, groups, ethnically, racially, by that same blood. So we're called as Christians to be includers, to be reconcilers with others based on the forgiveness that Jesus has given to us. Mm-hmm. So. I do think that there are great resources to be includers on a reconciliation primary model of understanding how God relates to us in Jesus. So it's not you can only do one and therefore can't do the other. I think there's more room for inclusion under a reconciliation model and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Uh, there And churches, and, and I did hopefully say, practically speaking, uh, churches have not always been great at this. Right, right, right. And there's still room, I think, a mandate for us to grow to live out the gospel horizontally 
in greater ways than we do, or else we just pre-select, hey, who are people that we think could be at our church, and we'll just go to them, but we're going to leave others out. Mm -hmm. uh, that That's an anti-gospel and anti-cross, anti-reconciliation impulse. Sure, sure. All of the above. Right. Okay. <laughs> okay, moving on to bar band cover tunes. Um, what you got? A few different quotes, and for the most part, a lot of these quotes were not from primary sources they were from secondary sources but that's how that's why we have this podcast so no i i have not read the complete works of benjamin franklin <laughs> but he was brought up in this connection about hey human beings are not that great men tend to be sort of beings very badly constructed more easily provoked than reconciled more mischief than making reparation more easily deceived than undeceived uh, in the Atlantic magazine, David Brooks, a couple months ago, came out with a long article. I'm blanking out on the title, something like How Humans Got Mean, or Why We Got Mean. And he was look, giving some historical perspectives on human beings, brought up old Ben Franklin. So there's that. W.H. Auden, uh, who, poet, English poet, um, talking about how Jesus gives us an opt-out from use of force and coercion, no matter what side of political divides you're on, where Jesus brings a new order of peace that rebukes systems of power rather than participates in them. That came from Alan Jacobs, I think a professor of Christian professor of English at Baylor University in the year of our Lord, 1943, who talks about a lot of English thinkers in the period of World War II and on either side of that. So it was Brits. a Christmas letter from W.H. Auden there. And we have Mark Rogop, the Weep With Me book that we've used at Liberty Collingswood recently. And then the Martin Luther quote um, comes from just a commentary on Matthew. Uh, but uh, let me read that Luther quote one more time. Be a reconciler and mediator between your neighbors. So there's that horizontal reconciliation idea. Carry the best to both sides, but keep quiet about the bad, which the devil has inspired, or explain it in the best way you can. <laughs> so <laughs> he's just kind of saying, like, don't be a jerk. Yep. And yep. Jesus gives us resources not to be a jerk. Good stuff. Don't do that. We look forward to the Bruce Symposium quotes that are upcoming. Oh, I, I had my super <laughs> note at the symposium. I even got a question about it afterwards from uh -huh. another Symposium attendees. <laughs> symposium attendees, I feel like it would be any symposium, the super note would probably be an attractive feature. I do think it's going to be like Beta, Betamax, though. I, I have a death watch on it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Guitar Slim Pickens. <laughs> any leftovers? Uh, nothing now, except <laughs> my super note might be a leftover. The tech graveyard. Do you think uh, all e-ink yeah. tablets or just super? Notes? No, I'm just thinking super. Hmm. It's just not in the water. I'll start when I start looking for Christmas presents for people. I will see how much it comes up, and if it does not come up, I'm I'm gonna say Betamax. Okay, well, <laughs> there are people that love Betamax. Yes, love there are. Super note. It's good. It's great. Um, Can't live anything else it. to plug? Your Halloween special. <laughs> <laughs> this this was our Halloween special. <laughs> And I meant your candy Halloween special, but your five golden things with Pat. 
Yeah, that's that not, came out. It's a Halloween special. Oh, thank you. Right. I, I, thought you, yeah, I thought you said upcoming. Yeah, if you want to be in the mood no, for things Halloween. Things to plug. Things like you. <laughs> Gosh, you're right. If you want to be in the mood for Halloween, listen to the latest Five Golden Things episode to hear about horrible candies. Uh-huh. Upcoming Angel and Mary. Yeah. <laughs> you're just saying yeah. <laughs> Anything else? <laughs> I, uh, Last call. I, I guess that's it. We're... We're going to have some more angel content on our different platforms, including some more Five Golden Things stuff and little social media. So, yeah, Pat McAdams, our digital ministry director, has put together a whole communication platter. Okay. (laughs) Can't wait. And with (laughs) that, how was it? That was amazing. Thanks so much for joining us. This has been the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, a production of Liberty Collingswood. Go ahead, rate, review, and subscribe, and you can find all things Liberty Collingswood at libertycollingswood.org. No more Post-Sunday Blues. Here comes some pre-Sunday happy. Happy.